0: Welcome to the Innovation in Government show sponsored by Carasoft. Each month, we'll talk with industry experts who enable innovation and make government more responsive and secure by advancing key technologies. Now, here's your host, Jason Miller. Welcome
1: to Innovation in Government. I'm Jason Miller. My guest today is Craig Harbour, the Chief Technology Officer for Fidelis Cybersecurity. Craig, welcome to the program. Great. Thank you. Let me set some context for our discussion today. Just over a year ago, the Office of Management and Budget released the first ever Cyber Risk Determination Report. Craig, you You probably remember that probably well uh, from your time at NSA. The report was damning about the state of federal cybersecurity in many ways. OMB says the risk assessments showed that the lack of threat information results is, is ineffective and also leads to allocations of agencies' limited cyber resources in an ineffective way. That, in turn, creates enterprise network visibility gaps. Now at the same time, the report also provided hope and some optimism. Initiatives such as the Continuous Diagnostics and Mitigation Program, CDM, or the DHS Government Cyber Architecture or GovCar review are giving agencies more asset visibility than ever before and policies such as the latest one on protecting high-value assets are starting to have an impact as agencies focus their protection efforts in these areas. These and many other efforts are giving agencies a path to consolidate and integrate their cyber tools. To move further down this path, agencies need better, not necessarily more, threat intelligence. They need security operations centers that combine and make sense of internal and external threat information and top it all off with advanced analytics to help human experts make sense of the mountains of data. So how do agencies reduce risk, consolidate architectures, and most importantly, successfully defend themselves from nation state and other cyber attacks? Well. Craig, that's where you come in. Once again, my guest is Craig Harbor, the Chief Technology Officer for Fidelity Cybersecurity. Craig, let's start with some specifics. Uh, cybersecurity professionals are, are facing huge challenges. I went through just a few of them, but really, one of the biggest ones is the need to simplify and really consolidate cybersecurity infrastructures. Talk a little bit about what where the state
0: is and where they need to go. And if you don't mind, just let me just do just a, just a little bit of quick background uh, of. Kind of my uh, experiences at NSA, because I think this leads into some of the recommendations I'm bringing forward to the community. So, as you mentioned, I, I did spend 30 plus years at NSA, and part of that time was working on an effort uh, called NASCAR, which is NIPRNET CIPRNET Cybersecurity Architecture Review. The NIPRNET being the government's unclassified network, CIPRNET being its secret network. And that work really was a result of a a number of breaches that had occurred over time. The DOD CIO at the time had called NSA down and and really challenged NSA to really rethink uh, the current uh, investment strategies. Part of where that effort led to was really defining a new methodology. And I think some of the points that you were making at the, the front end, which was, we really needed to understand how the adversary was behaving and making sure that our investments were complementary and actually were able to detect and to respond to those types of capabilities. So as a result, there was something developed called the NASCAR Cybersecurity Framework, uh, today, it's actually referred to as Dodd Car. Uh, there was a reason for that name change. But it has also evolved in the DHS market to something called Gov Car. Uh, that work was based on a lot of really good industry work. MITRE, for example, had produced the ATT&CK framework. Lockheed Martin had its own cyber kill chain. So it really was a best of breed analysis of what is the adversary doing and how do we better defend against that. And so, it allowed us to really assess the technologies that are out there. And, and these, the, the technologies that are employed across the DOD and the intelligence community, the rest of the federal government, really are no different than what you see being deployed across the, the commercial sector, the private sector, across all verticals. Everyone's experiencing the same set of challenges and it's how to essentially be able to react and respond in cyber relevant time, which I think is the key. Because I think traditionally, I think there's a lot of reports out there. There's a Verizon report that talks about uh, cyber dwell time and how long it's taking to essentially, attackers are getting on our networks and it's, it's you know anywhere from hundreds of days, they're out there before they're being essentially redacted off the, the network. And so really taking those concepts and trying to bring those forward. And that's really one of the big things that I think the big challenges for the community Just to give you a sense of the the complexity of the problem that we're really really facing, is the way uh, architectures really had evolved over time, the security architectures, and it it really doesn't matter whether you're talking government or industry, they've really been cobbled together, right? Every time there was a, a new attack, we essentially looked for a new product, and those new products really were solely focused on a particular attack. As a result, if you look uh, at a number of the different industries out there, there could be 40, 50 uh, vendor products in a stack. And just imagine the complexity of that. Vendor products that really don't share information well together, don't work well together, aren't integrated. And as a result, we've effectively created even more seams for the adversary to essentially attack through. And so really part of the the kind of the recommendations that, that we were bringing forward in that report and that I'll say it is my role at uh, Fidelis is how do we ex- help our customers streamline those security stacks to make them more effective more uh, reactive to kind of the challenges that are that are ahead of them.
1: Now I've had similar conversations with vendors before about this if you will just incredible increase of the number of products tools services that they've uh, that they've sold and agencies have bought put your NSA hat on for a second right is, this, is the onus on the government to say, hey, I have this tool already, what else can it do? Or is the onus on the vendor to say, hey, you have my tool already, here's what else it can do? Instead of every time there's a new RFP out, a new RFI out, looking for new tools. I mean, I know blame
0: goes both ways, but then that, now that you've seen both sides of the fence here, which, which side do you lean toward? One of the significant findings in the original uh, NASCAR report was that the fact that of those large number of uh, vendor products that, that are within the security stack, uh, they're not fully utilized. Right. They had uh, a lot of capabilities and, and most were 30% or less utilized. Um, I think the other thing that we found is a lot of duplication of capabilities uh, because certain people like certain products, so you would see multiple firewalls, multiple IDSs, multiple IPSs, uh, and the redundancy just was almost ridiculous. <laughs> And so um, kind of where do I come from on this? I think uh, the, uh, as where you're looking at streamlining the security stacks, I think the first thing to do is really kind of self-assess at every agency. Uh, where are we today? What capabilities do we have? Where do we have redundancy? Where can we remove the redundancy or the, or the duplication? And then look for, so what is a, a holistic solution? And so you know, one of the things I'll say I bring forward as well because of the work that I did at NSA is that, so how do we think through what does a complete security stack look like? How do I get complete coverage? And so even though the, the original cyber threat work that was done was meant for kind of initial investment strategies, trying to help the DOD leadership think through that, that same framework can be used really to assess the completeness of coverage right
1: let's let me jump in because when you talk about completeness i think i don't want to give people the wrong impression we know that there's no such thing as well we know that there's one way to have a secure computer system is to right bury it in a lead box underground you've heard the joke before sure, sure. so when you say completeness
0: help me define what you mean Sure, so when when I'm talking completeness, um, and and the best way to try to describe this is is thinking about the adversary. The adversary has tactics, techniques that that they use in order to execute their operations. And so we have a really good understanding of what those are. We have them documented in this risk framework. And what we wanna be able to do is measure how well we can protect so our security solutions, do they protect? Where can we detect and how can we respond? And so ideally, and and you'll see a number of vendors that are doing this today, they're taking, for example, the MITRE ATT&CK framework and uh, they're being assessed how well can they uh, essentially address a particular APT, an advanced persistent threat. If we would do that for the entire security stack, and I'll just take, for example, the Fidelis security stack, we really have a, a complete set of sensors uh, other companies that are out there have, have a similar types of sensor grids, but we can look at that and say, for example, what if we could cover 60 or 70% of all of those techniques out there? Then the question is, what other vendor partnerships would we need uh, to identify in order to try to cover the stack? Now, when I say 100% coverage, the reality is it's 100% coverage of what is documented and known. The reality is the adversary is changing. The adversary is always looking for new techniques, right? And so even though it's 100% coverage, the reality is we have to constantly look for ways to identify, I'll, I'll say, the unknown activities, right?
1: You're I was going to jump in and say the no-knowns, known the unknown-knowns, and the unknown-unknowns, right? Correct. And Absolutely. I think the last piece of that is the one we know, we know we don't know a lot about, meaning because of the changes that happen. And, and so going back to the completeness, let me just put a finer point on this. When an agency is looking at their current security architecture and the tools they have. I think it's it's one, you know, figure out what you have. Second, what's redundant and what do you really need? And then two, when you talk about that completeness, it's those three things, right? It's the ability to detect, to respond, and to protect. I think right. the, if you can kind of fill those buckets with
0: your tools, you're, you're that's how you achieve or get closer to that 100% solution. Yes. Yeah, so that, and, and that's kind of what we've been, uh, from a, I'll say from a thought leadership perspective, have, have been pushing both when I was at NSA, and now that I'm within industry at Fidelos, is really that is what we're advocating is a way forward for all agency, at least think through the problem in kind of a methodical way. So walk me back
1: through, so we got the understand what you have, mm-hmm. understand what's redundant, and then what capabilities you need, what are the, some of those next steps, if you will, that an agency can go through to, to really relook at their security architecture, make sure it's getting toward the completeness.
0: So I think that's actually the, the first step that they have that's to the do, right? Is And you mentioned, for example, uh, the CDM program at DHS. And there is a large number of agencies that are going through the phases of that program, Part of going through that phasing is going to assess what capabilities do you have against those new set of requirements that are identified in each of those phases. And then, because again, here's the reality, right, is all the agencies, whether it's, uh, we're talking federal agencies or within the private sector, they've already have uh, investments in hardware, in software, and and they need to make a kind of a, a conscious decision of where do they essentially eliminate costs and and where do they add new capabilities and how do they add them in a integrated and automated fashion? Uh, You know, one aspect that we didn't really talk about is do uh, the agencies and organizations actually have the skilled workforce to even operate uh, these platforms that we're talking about, right? And so you'll you'll see across uh, even industry there's opportunities for managed services versus does the network owner and operator perform the, the analysis and the operations themselves? I think in the next segment, we'll go down that those two kind of roads of managed services workforce.
1: But let me come back around because there's one thing around this idea of understanding what you have and how it works is there's going to be blind spots. So as, as a chief information security officer or CIO, how do you kind of go down that path and say, how, how do we identify what we
0: don't know? From my perspective, blind spots is kind of the, uh, the one of the most critical issues to address as part of this. You know, I, I think uh, over the, the course of my 30 plus years, uh, I don't know that I ever uh, went to an agency or to an organization who fully could identify all the assets, right? all the devices that are actually on the network. And so that's a real challenge, right? There's assets that I'll say that, that are managed assets that we have uh, agents on, and then there's a, a whole set of unmanaged assets, shadow IT, uh, all types of things that really fall under kind of the internet of things. And really, in, in order to get uh, remove those blind spots, you need to have complete visibility on all the devices that, that reside within your network and understand all the paths that connect those devices. Another important aspect is, you know, when you're really thinking about operations, what is the configuration of those devices, right? And are those devices vulnerable? Do they need patched? There's a whole set of cyber hygiene things that would come into play there as well. But not only understanding your assets, but what are the critical assets, right? Where are the most critical assets and what are the paths to those assets? Because that's really what the adversary wants to think about when it comes to lateral movement how do I get presence in your network, create a foothold, and then what are the steps that I need to do to get to those most critical assets? So unless you have really that kind of full visibility of all your assets, those blind spots are where the adversary is going to essentially kind of operate from.
1: I think that's a great point we have to worry about because we can go back to all the way to 2015 when we found out about the Office of Personnel Management data breach. They had some blind spots and ended up costing them a lot of a lot of data. Craig, let's take a quick break. When we come back, we can continue our conversation. You're listening to the discussion, Innovation in Government, sponsored by Carisoft on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network.
0: Sophisticated threats are designed to bypass your traditional defenses. To gain the upper hand, you need to change the game. Fidela Cybersecurity provides a streamlined, security stack that integrates, automates, and correlates rich metadata from network, endpoint, and deception defenses, helping you quickly detect, hunt, and respond to even the most advanced threats. Gain a decisive advantage by speeding up your security, slowing down the bad guys, and protecting your sensitive data with Fidelis Cybersecurity. Visit FidelisSecurity.com.
1: Welcome back. You're listening to the discussion, Innovation in Government, sponsored by Carisoft on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network. I'm your host, Jason Miller. My guest today... Craig Harbour, the Chief Technology Officer for Fidelity Cybersecurity. Now, Craig, before break, we were talking a lot about the attack service came up with this idea of agencies have had 40 or 50 different tools that didn't integrate, and that could create seams. But there's also the other side, if you will, that the attack service could actually be beneficial for agencies. Maybe talk a little bit about your thoughts about how agencies can
0: put the attack service to work for them. One of the things uh, that I know even Fidelis is looking at is deception technology, right? And the idea with deception technology is... How do we essentially use that to our advantage? I'll say that being us, being the good guys, right? Rather than the attackers. So the attackers have always uh, been able to look for one way in where the defenders had to be able to defend every possible combination of things that, that an attacker can do. And so there's always been this concern about uh, lateral movement and once they get in and how do you d- detect lateral movement and so from the perspective of an attacker, what they like to see is a, an environment that's fairly static, that they understand it, that uh, they essentially can develop their operations. They know exactly what they want to do. What would be frustrating to an adversary is an environment that changes, uh, one that's dynamic, uh, one where the attack surface, for example, is not in their favor. So if you think about the attack surface as being, these are the paths that that they can go down and they try to do that in a very, I'll say, silent uh, uh, way. What if we introduced additional assets through deception, right, that aren't real? Additional endpoint assets, additional IoT assets, so that what was potentially 100 endpoint devices just became 1,000 or 10,000? The reality is if they engage those assets, we know that it's an attacker. They, they shouldn't be there. So it really creates really a high fidelity infrastructure for us to constantly monitor and look for. And, and then we can do a couple different things. We can use it to gain intelligence about how does the adversary behave. So when we talked a little bit earlier about uh, determining the the unknowns, right, we can use that from an intelligence standpoint to really understand adversaries, how they're gonna behave, what techniques they're using, or we can use it to automatically trigger our defensive capabilities and say, look, if this happens, there's kind of the automated response, we're gonna take the following action to take that adversary off our network.
1: It's a great idea. I did a story a couple months ago. Sandia National Labs within the Energy Department is putting together a dynamic honeypot. Very similar. Probably uh, uh, something where they're saying we can kind of lure the adversary in right, and then make it seem like it's a real network and watch them move through and, and pick and give them fake data and fake information and fake systems. And then once they're in, then we can develop... The others are,
0: are real defenses. It seems very similar to that. I'm not sure if you're familiar with, with those folks at Sandia. Very familiar, and, and actually it's very much uh, what the Fidelis platform does as well. It's, it's the use of breadcrumbs to essentially really to lure the attacker to that network of deception uh, yeah. tools.
1: Is this something that, you know beyond the, the pilot or the test at Sandia, is this something that other agencies are starting to look into? I mean, I know what you can talk about you from the NSA
0: perspective or the intelligence world, but is this something that they're starting to look into a little bit? So, you know, this technology isn't really new technology. I think... Uh, well, the was, honeypot the, has been around forever. The honeypot's been around. And I think the challenge was, how do you operationalize that capability? And so I think what you're seeing with some of the dynamic uh, deception tools that are out there is their ability to essentially sense the environment. So when we were talking earlier about visibility, the fact that I understand what are my assets on, on the network allows me in a very dynamic fashion to say... But what if I wanted to introduce additional? I don't need somebody to program that in. I can actually learn based on what's in my environment and automatically deploy these capabilities and introduce those things like breadcrumbs to lore. So I think that where the technology has advanced to in the last couple of years, allows this now to be something that can be truly operationalized And there's a a number of different articles out there that are looking at the technology. Uh, Lots of different uh, federal agencies uh, have come to us, I know, for uh, proof of concepts to really better understand how to essentially manage this capability. And part of the reason why this is
1: possible, you mentioned the technology has advanced, is this broad acceptance, but also really transformation that artificial intelligence, machine learning, predictive analytics, whatever we're going to call it, really has added to the cyber defense. Where does AI,
0: ML, and whatever other emerging technologies we want to talk to fit into this discussion? Automation is a key capability that actually needs to be readily adopted uh, across uh, not only the federal government, but industry. Uh, I'll tell you, uh, it was probably about five years ago, I was at at one of the service labs, and um, at the time we were working on active uh, cyber defense, and this was when SOAR tools just became about, right? Secure orchestration capabilities. We took a capability down to this particular service, demonstrated it, they loved it, and we thought that we were actually gonna deploy the capability. Wasn't but a couple hours later, all of a sudden, there was this realization that we were gonna make automatic changes to their, their infrastructure, and they were like, well, wait a minute. No, no, we, we're not comfortable with that. So automation really is something that I think is, uh, it's taking a little bit of time for that user acceptance to understand that, that machines can learn and machines can make decisions if we do the right thing. So when I think about uh, machine learning and artificial intelligence, it really is to help us to go that next level where we can take data feeds, Right, data or sensor feeds that that we're pulling from all these different devices that we've deployed across our networks. And we can make smart decisions based on our understanding. So I think you'll see that there's there's a lot of work to do kind of complex correlations to really understand and look for what is that adversary doing uh, uh, on our networks. And then it's not just the kind of the making sense of what they're doing. It's also, so how are we gonna respond? So start to think about decision making. So it's one thing uh, to be able to present to an operator, an owner of a network that says, well you have all these things going on, you got all these problems. Their next question is, so what should I do next? Right. And I think we can actually use machine learning to also do not only the sense making, but help with automated decision making. Then allow really the machines to execute these changes in an automated fashion, right? Because if we're not gonna get to the point of operating what I'll call cyber relevant time, and you know, allowing uh, adversaries or attackers to be on our networks for hundreds of days, that's not cyber relevant time. That's just you know a problem happening, right? So we really need to get out in front of it. And I believe these technologies will really allow us to discover new things that the adversary is doing, and in a cyber relevant time, be able to take action and respond. We hear a lot about automation when it comes to DevSec, you know, Dev, DevOps and
1: DevSecOps. What you're talking about here, though, and I think just to put a, maybe a finer point on it again, is that the computer is saying, I'm finding this ping that's happening on this port. I'm going to shut down that port right now because I realize that that's, that that's not right, or based on what what the human, if you will, has told me, told the, the machine, that's not
0: right. I mean, that's without automation. I know I'm simplifying it. Oh, I, I think it's that, and I think it's also... You know, a file comes across, we think there's something uh, potentially bad with that file, right? And in the past, there was a, a manual process that an analyst would go through to try to make a determination, is this good, is this bad? And, and part of the challenge was they were, I'll say, interacting with a lot of different systems to come to that ultimate decision of, is it good or it's bad? And, and that might be, you know, we're not talking even minutes later, sometimes it took hours for that to occur. Well, you can take all those manual steps that, that an analyst does and, and essentially use an orchestration capability to automate that entire workflow. So what was taking potentially hours can now be done really in minutes and even in seconds, uh, depending on how complex that, that, uh, the set of steps were. Where are you seeing this happening,
1: whether in government or other sectors, where are we with this move toward automation you said
0: we need to go faster or get it done but where are we with it we're really uh, i'd like to think that we were further along i almost feel like in the last five years that my my life has stood still because uh, part of the whole active cyber defense program that i worked on the the focus was how do we deploy orchestration capabilities secure orchestration capabilities to do this automation and i think what you're seeing now really is a combination of things happening i think a lot of vendors recognize the need to be able to do a lot more integrated, automated work be, within our platforms. So our product, like a, a number of products are out there, have those capabilities built in. So when we detect something on our network device, for example, we very quickly share that with our endpoint device. And it may result in, we detect something, we think it's bad, have the endpoint quarantine or a number of the endpoint devices quarantine. right? So we're very quickly making decisions Uh, If I go back to our earlier comment about how do we get to that streamlined security stack, I really need the ability to also be able to operate outside or external to my own environment. And I think that's true for all the vendors that are kind of building this uh, set of devices. And so to be able to very quickly work with orchestration tools, uh, I'll tell you, if you looked at orchestration tools four or five years ago, there were probably two out in the market. I think today there's probably 40 plus out in the market. There are some that are more dominant than others, and I think it's really trying to think through those workflows of what makes sense. So I continue to always go back to the cyber threat framework. The framework helps me understand what to detect, and it also gives me guidance on how to respond. And it's now taking those ideas and essentially transforming it into playbooks that exist within these products. So I think we're just kind of- Getting there. You're starting to see that now, and it's it's really uh, starting to advance pretty quickly. Craig,
1: this has been a fascinating conversation. We're just about out of time, but I did want to hit upon one last topic area briefly is, is around workforce. Mm-hmm. Uh, all this is really to help the workforce bring the human side, make them more valuable, upskill them, if you will. Talk about what type of skill sets or where does the workforce need to go as we look at the, the changing, the, the evolution of
0: cybersecurity. The discussion we we're just having on automation really becomes a workforce multiplier. It allows what would have taken 10 people, I can automate and now I can and have potentially two people doing that job. And the value is I can now free those eight other people up to do more complex analysis. I think one of the biggest challenges uh, within this community is is the, the skill set and getting skilled uh, analysts and operators that are out there. One of the things that I mentioned, uh, I worked at NSA. NSA has actually been probably one of the leaders trying to work not only, you know, at the college level or at the university level or with the military services, they've been working with the high schools. You know, a lot of these kids coming through high school thinking about what they want to do in college, cybersecurity is not the first thing on their mind, right? And it really does a a great job of explaining the value and and the role that that we play within the the, the cybersecurity community. And it really has raised a lot of kind of awareness about what it is and a lot of people going into the the, uh, career field. All right, this is a huge challenge. I know we could talk longer, but unfortunately we are out of time for today. Let me thank my
1: guest, Craig Harbour, the Chief Technology Officer for Fidelity Cybersecurity. Craig, thank you so much for your time. Great, thank you. I'm Jason Miller, and you've been listening to the Discussion Innovation in Government, sponsored by Carasoft on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network. For more on this discussion, visit federalnewsnetwork.com and search innovation.
0: Thank you for listening to the Innovation in Government show, sponsored by Carisoft, on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network. The entire discussion can be found on demand at federalnewsnetwork.com, keyword innovation.